Welcome to the Future Think podcast from the School for the Future of Innovation in Society at Arizona State University. I'm Heather Ross. Together with my colleague, Andrew Maynard, we chat with a variety of experts on and off campus about science, technology, innovation, and policy. This podcast brings you the hallway conversations where we think about our collective future. In today's episode, Andrew and I sat down with Britt Crow-Miller. Britt is an assistant professor in the School for the Future of Innovation Society here at ASU, and she works on projects related to large infrastructure development in particularly China, but around the world. And we had the chance to talk with her about a new project that she is getting ready to start with a team from uh, the United States and Australia and China um, that has to do with a large water transfer project in China. Our time with Brit was a little bit constrained, so we didn't get to um, move into the weeds maybe as much as we would like to. Um, but I hope you enjoy this episode, and we definitely will have Brit back again in the future um, as this project continues to take shape. Because I think that a lot of the questions that she's asking about flows of water and people and power that we start to talk about in this episode episode are just fascinating, and so we'll dig in further again. As always, uh, please let us know what you think about the Future Think podcast. You can tweet at us at FutureThinkPod. You can find and even like our Facebook page, Future Think Podcast. You can find the Future Think podcast, Future Think is one word, of course, um, on iTunes, on Google Play, on Stitcher, on SoundCloud. Uh, you can also find our website at sfis.asu.edu forward slash Future Think. Thanks so much for listening. Hi, Britt. Hi, Heather. Hi, Andrew. Hi. So, Britt, tell us about the work that you're doing in China. So, I've been doing uh, work over the last several years around a big uh, interbasin water transfer project called the South-North Water Transfer Project. And it's basically uh, a supersized version of a lot of the same types of water infrastructure projects that we have uh, here in the American Southwest, delivering water uh, to places like Phoenix and Los Angeles and and other cities. but it's on a much, much larger scale. Um, it includes a couple of river basins, so, so taking uh, water from central China, uh, the Yangtze River Basin, and moving it um, several hundreds of miles northward up toward Beijing and other cities um, like Tianjin as well. Right, so it's, it's really looking at what we're grappling with here with the Colorado River Basin, but on a much, much bigger scale. On a much bigger scale and in a very different context. Mm-hmm. So um, the North China Plain, which is the area the water uh, is being transferred to, um, geographically, I think it's it's somewhat similar area-wise to um, Arizona and New Mexico combined, but it's home to about 400 million people. Right. So that is, uh, just help me with the math, that's how many million, like what it's multiplier about, is that? 
uh, compared, compared to, to the population here. Yeah. So, well, it's more than the population of the states. Of the state. Of the, the whole, United of states, the entire yeah. United so, States. So what right? if we took that, like, let's say, like, the New York sort of tri-state region, which right. is the most densely populated region of the United States, it's still much more densely populated than that, yeah? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Wow. Um, well, actually, I don't know. In terms of density, that's a good question. But yes, it's quite densely populated. But, but okay. you have a number of, of large and even mega cities in yes. that area. Yes, yeah. several, a couple of mega cities. Beijing is now over 20 million. Tianjin, I think, is well over 10. There are a number of um, provincial capitals, kind of regionally important cities that are um, close to 10, if not over 10 million. Um, yes, so it's it's got a number of large urban centers. It's also uh, an important agricultural region. Okay. Um, interestingly enough, uh, although it is semi-arid, so you're seeing a lot of water demand um, in this area that doesn't necessarily have a lot of water to offer. Right. Okay. But but the driver, I, we were talking earlier, is not necessarily the agriculture, it's the, the business and the urbanization. Correct, yeah, area. so there's been this move toward um, using water for higher value uses, so, so you can use water uh, to generate greater economic output uh, for urban and industrial uses than you can for agricultural right. um, mm -hmm. uses. And so the South North Water Transfer Project is not really intended to supplement agricultural water use, um, but to address uh, shortages in the industrial and urban um, okay. sector. So, so now you've got this situation where you've got a, a fairly large area, you've got an incredible amount of people, um, and you're diverting water to supply their needs. What are the issues at, at stake there with this project that you're looking at? Well, one issue is that it's not really going to solve the water stress problem in the North China Plain. Mm -hmm. um, and in some ways it's really a band-aid for uh, the underlying, it doesn't really get at the underlying drivers of water stress and, in the and, first place. And when you talk about water stress, um, what are you talking about? Yeah, so there? water stress, um, you know, there's a, a threshold, international threshold level. If, if you fall below that level um, in terms of gallons of available per person per day, right. mm -hmm. um, then you're considered to be experiencing water stress. And okay. so um, Beijing in particular and North, the North China Plain is one of the most water stressed um, areas in the world. Okay. okay, so so in order to actually sort of maintain this growth, they've got to get a lot of water in fast. Yes, yes. so and if they want to maintain economic growth, water has to be there. And economic growth has been kind of the fundamental underpinning of the Chinese Communist Party's right. legitimacy over mm -hmm. the last several decades. And so it's critical to them from a political standpoint um, to maintain that growth or, or as much growth as is feasible. And of course, I'm assuming that there are lots of people that really want to have a stake in this water all the way from mm -hmm. source all the way through to where it ends up. That's right. Mm -hmm. So there are a number of cities who are, uh, a number of cities that fall along these these two routes that have been completed, and so it's actually very difficult to get num you know firm numbers on which city is getting what percentage of the total transferred mm -hmm. water. Mm -hmm. um, but there have been some very interesting kind of political negotiations among these cities um, with kind of the less uh, economically and politically. Um, influential cities right. trying to bargain with Beijing, which ultimately has 
the most control over who's getting water and for what uses. Sure. Um, you know, so you can you'll you'll read things about. Um, you know, Beijing will give this particular city or this province an extra percentage of water in exchange for, uh, oh, I'm sorry, in reverse there. These regional cities will give Beijing some of their water um, allocated from this project in exchange for a factory being relocated right, from okay. Beijing so into that area. So there's kind of an exchange or in a, a negotiation. Mm -hmm. Is it almost happens. like like carbon credits or that, like isn't that cap and trade? I'm so not an environmentalist. It would be. I don't know if people person. have talked about cap it seems and like trading a for. Yeah, I suppose it's sort somewhat, of system. But, but similar, it's, but it's under the table and it's not. Um, yeah, it's a little but, bit. But but it's definitely sort of water economics. It's right. I, I have something. I'll give it to you if you give me right. something. And right. all of that's happening at a municipal level. It sounds like. Well, so city, yes, cities okay. um, are certainly an important player, and then mm -hmm. it's interesting because Beijing is also has you know has a, a city government, but it is one of four cities that's considered a municipality in China, which means it ranks basically as a province or a state. Oh, okay. okay. Um, and then the central government is there too, so it's kind of diff it, it, it's somewhat difficult to disentangle all of these different pieces and which mm -hmm. actors are 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 the most important and I mm -hmm. you know ultimately it's the central government um, that makes right. most of these decisions around the project. So, so then um, you have this sort of flow of water coming from these different areas into the, the large urbanized areas mm -hmm. um, and you were talking about how then that affects other types of flow in this project. That's right so we have um, I'm working on a project with a number of collaborators most of whom are at the University of Melbourne um, and then we have one one collaborator in China, um, and we're interested in looking at how uh, the South North Water Transfer Project changes or alters not not only flows of water but mm -hmm. different kinds of flows. So flows of people. Um, if you're relocating several hundred thousand people um, in order to to build this project, um, how does that change? The demographic composition or economic composition of, of different sure. regions, and there you're actually thinking about uh, almost migrant workers. Yeah, I was going to say migration. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So, yeah. so migrant, you know, the the people who've been relocated are are called uh, migrants. Interestingly enough, mm -hmm. although it's not a voluntary mm -hmm. migration, okay. but then those people are also um, losing. They've lost access to their land that mm -hmm. they farmed, or some of them were fishermen. They've lost access to that work, and so what it means is that they're being relocated to to other kind of peripheral, kind of rural areas, without economic opportunity. And so, in turn, they're mm. migrating into the cities that are already so heavily burdened with with rapid urban population growth that their water is stressed. So just okay. to be clear here, these are people that are displaced because of the development or people that are brought in to make the development happen? They're both? displaced because oh, of the okay. project's construction. So, okay. so the middle route of the project um, has a large reservoir that's associated with it, the Denjengko Reservoir. And so that reservoir has a dam that has dammed up the Han River, which is a tributary of the Yangtze River. And so in order to increase the capacity of that reservoir, they had to raise the height of the dam. Mm -hmm. And that flooded a huge area um, of farmland uh, where you know many hundreds of thousands of people had been living. Mm -hmm. And so they had to relocate. Right. So, so that's where most of the relocation right. comes so from. So in terms of flow, I, this is the physicist in me, 
really interesting feedback loop mm -hmm. where to create the water system you're displacing people who then become part of that group of people that need more right. water. Right, right, exactly, right. exactly. And that's not something that many people are really talking about. Right. So in some ways the project is, is a band-aid for the water stress um, in North China that actually allows the underlying issues to get worse over time. Yeah, right, right, that seems right. okay. And so you're part of this project, so you're going out and you're talking to, trying to map, because you're a geographer, mm -hmm. um, <laughs> all of the f different types of flows in yes. this project. And one of the things that I love when you talk about your work, you say, well, I, you know, am studying the discourse. So I know that people are lying to me and that's right. totally fine. <laughs> so talk about that. That's one yeah. of my favorite things. <laughs> yeah. So, so the flows of people, that was one flow. We're also looking at, um, you know, flows of pollutants, flows of power. Um, and by power, you mean political power. Political power. power. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Uh, yes not, not hydropower, although yes. that does come up. Um, so, so my big piece of this project is looking at the, the flows of power, kind of the political mm -hmm. or governance side of, of all of this. Um, and so Heather, you know, when you've heard me say that people are lying to me, this is true. So I, I do a lot of interviews um, with various stakeholders around this project. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's highly unlikely that I would go in to talk to rural government officials, you know, anywhere. China included, and have them sit down and tell me 100% truth. Um, right. And so what I'm interested in is really the stories or the narratives that different uh, people involved in this project are using to justify it or to, to depoliticize it. Um, and so in some ways, it's it, it doesn't matter if they're telling me the truth. What they are telling, I'm taking what they're telling me at face value. That is the story that they are telling. Sure. What can I learn from that story or the types of um, framings that they're using to justify this project uh, in spite of huge ecological, social, um, economic costs? So a very wise person uh, who's, and I can't remember who, the name now, but said, Politics is competitive storytelling, uh -huh. and so that's what this is, yeah, that's right? Exactly right? Yeah, so just study the story. Don't right. you know the, this whole question of of truth and fact, which has become you know a highly fungible idea in, mm -hmm. <laughs> that we've just experienced in the United States. You're saying that doesn't even matter. Truth and fact don't even matter. Just study the stories because that's right. what's important and to figure out how this is all working here. Right, and whose story? wins out right yeah, yeah. right so presumably who actually has the platform who gets heard who mm -hmm. has the influence. right and that's an important question in a place like china who has the platform right mm -hmm. so there's mm -hmm. not as much space for counter narratives in a place like china as there might be in a place like the united states right. um, it's difficult for let's say the people who have been forcibly relocated to come out uh, with a counter narrative mm -hmm. um, that will be that will be hurt. It's right. very risky for them politically. Um, and as a result of that, we haven't seen much in the way of protest against this project, which is somewhat different from other projects like the um, Three Gorges Dam, where oh. we saw a little bit of that. And I think that might have been uh, a learning experience for mm -hmm. people that maybe it wasn't a good idea to, to assert oh. their counter narratives. Um, around that project and then there have been some smaller scale and very successful um, 
protest movements against um, hydropower projects in the southwest of China, uh, but a lot of people have made the argument that that people are willing to engage in speaking out against those projects because they are not led by the central government, they're led by provincial governments right. or more uh-huh. local governments, but once the central government has put its stamp on a project, its stamp of approval, um, it's very risky to right. challenge that. So, so with this, are you able to tap into those narratives that wouldn't otherwise be heard by speaking to local communities? Yeah, we're hoping that with this research, um, especially engaging migrant, you know, these people who have been relocated as a result of the project and talking to people in cities that have not traditionally been um, constructed as falling within the Mm -hmm. scope of the project. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, for example, people living downstream from where the water water will be transferred in the Yangtze River Basin. Um, We're hoping that we can start to tease out some of these counter narratives, you know, not just looking at the the central government narratives or even the local government narratives, but what are other people, other stakeholders, other people um, impacted by this project saying about it, trying to have, how are they trying to have their interests heard? What are their interests? Um, yes, yeah, so, so we're hopeful that we'll get some more Right. Insight okay. into right. those pieces. What's the timetable for this project? Um, we're no, we're, oh no, we're December 2016 right now. What, yeah, is so going? we'll start up with our our field work out in China this summer probably. Um, it's a four-year project. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so with a team of eight, it will involve multiple trips for each of us mm-hmm. and uh, many hours on the ground, but hopefully in the next, you know, one, two, three, four, five years. Um, we'll have some some new insights. Well, I'm really interested to see how this develops, and I think there are so many useful questions. I, I of course, always want to think about, okay, well, so what are the lessons you're going to learn, and how might you apply that to other settings? And I have questions about what does it mean for having Australians and, and American mainly uh, studying this mm-hmm. area and in engaging China. with these people mm-hmm. in China, and how does that affect the narrative and the data mm-hmm. that you are able to acquire? And so I'm really interested to know how this develops. Will you? Mm-hmm. Which means yeah. you'll, you'll be have to come back. back. Yes, I'd be happy to update you. All as right. We move along, so. Super. Thanks, Britt. Thanks so much. All right. For more where that came from, including our undergraduate and graduate programs, check out the School for the Future of Innovation in Society at sfis.asu.edu. The Future Think podcast is produced with the support of the School for the Future of Innovation in Society and the Risk Innovation Lab at Arizona State University. Our music is by Mark Van Hare. Our production assistant is Ana Lopez. Please subscribe to our podcast and tell your friends. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud, and on Twitter at FutureThinkPod.